Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. We have a number of people we're going to be speaking with today. Uh, today is actually going to be Thursday. It's uh, Thanksgiving Day. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And we're going to start off with uh, the dynamic president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, Michelle Merriweather. They have their annual breakfast coming up next Thursday. We want to make sure you know about it. So, Michelle Merriweather, what, what, what can people experience by attending the breakfast on uh, Thursday, the 30th at the Western Hotel? At the Western Hotel. You know, I look forward to this event every year. One, it's like a reunion. All of us together, community together, our partners, our sponsors, folks from the city, et cetera, just celebrating the work and uh, talking about and sharing um, the impact that the Urban League has had, the positive impact that the Urban League has had on the community over the last year. Um, last year was the first one that we had since the pandemic. We have grown and have done more even since. And so it's an opportunity to celebrate, honor the work that we have done, celebrate folks in our community that have done tremendous work as well. And this year, Eddie, we are celebrating Black women and paying tribute to some powerful Black women in our community and celebrating the work that they have done. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And our, our guest keynote uh, this year is um, uh, the one and only Trevor Noah. And so we're looking forward to uh, to celebrating with him as well. Uh, you know, when he was leaving The Daily Show, he made a tribute to his mother and the Black woman that, he, that raised him, but also the Black woman that supported and uplifted him. And uh, so as we were celebrating Black women, we thought he would be the perfect person to bring uh, to honor uh, that work as well. Well, that's great. Now, how can people get information? How can they get tickets? Um, they can go to our website, uh, uh, www.urbanleague.org uh, for more information. I think there may be a few tickets left, but it is, uh, you know, everybody wants to be there. Um, but we certainly, you know, Mr. Rai, you are a, a prior um, uh, Edwin T. Pratt honoree, and we certainly celebrate you and honor your work. I think, Mr. Howell, you have been in the past uh, as well, and we welcome you if you are if you feel like waking up and joining us bright and early Thursday morning. Uh, we'd love to have you there as well, uh, but it's going to be a celebration, and folks can go to our website uh, to uh, get more information. And the website is? www.urbanleague.org. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you very much uh, for all the work you've been doing. And I see that you guys have acquired enough property to have uh, 275 units of affordable apartments that's and right. also a new headquarters for the organization. So that's right. Congratulations and, and all, on. Thank you. Uh, and it certainly doesn't happen without uh, the work that you do as well. And we're hoping that. Out of that 275, about 30 of those will be um, condos that are for sale. We're still working out the details, but that is that is certainly the goal, that we're giving folks an opportunity to own right there uh, in community. And that's great, because that way then they can, those people build up enough equity to buy them a home if they so desire. Exactly. Right. Well, Michelle, thank you very much. We appreciate you, and I will be there next Thursday morning. Thank I will you. be there bright and early and wait, waiting to see all the folks you will have at the event. So it's always, it's always a good turnout. So thank you very much. And uh, people will hear this all the way up until Thursday because uh, two hours after the live program, Eric has it hooked up. So it goes on Alexa, on my podcast, and online. So 24-7. So people can hear your interview and hear the information. I love it. Happy Thanksgiving, gentlemen. Thank you very much.
All, all you right. do. Okay. Thank you very much, Michelle. Mary. We appreciate all the work you're doing. Bye-bye. Okay. And now we will go to Congressman Bobby, Robert Cortez, Bobby Scott from Virginia, who uh, is uh, the ranking member of the House Education and Labor Committee. And a whole bunch of uh, bad things are happening uh, because we got too many Trump followers still running around the Congress. But Congressman Scott, welcome again. Uh, I had, uh, had mentioned to you earlier, we see that our Congressman uh, Hank Johnson has a bill to uh, hold uh, a, a Supreme Court justice accountable, maybe. But I always wanted to talk to you and just talk to you about uh, your priorities now and the difference between having the gavel and being the ranking member. Well, it, 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 thank you, Eddie, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And it's uh, good to uh, talk to Lim Howell. I haven't seen him in a long time. But th there's a big difference between being the ranking member and being the chair. When you're the chair, you can um, you, you set the agenda. If you look back two years ago, we had the American Rescue Plan Act, where we had the biggest investment in K-12 through education in the history of the United States. And we distributed that money according to the Title I formula, so where poverty is a major factor, so that the areas that needed it the most got the most, and that that enabled them to get through the uh, pandemic, and got, and uh, uh, allowed them to catch up. Children have been out of school for so long uh, that they need to catch up, and you you can't wait. You don't want them to graduate and have a. Uh, permanent diminution in educational opportunity because we, they didn't catch up. So uh, those are some of the things that we can do. Access to college, uh, health care comes is within the within our jurisdiction. We improved um, access to health care in the American Rescue Plan Act. If you look what we'd done uh, when I was chairman for those the two years uh, for two years ago, um, we um, saved a million people's pensions under the. Um, multi-employer pension fund uh, program, uh, fixed uh, drug prices, reduced drug prices, particularly insulin, $35 a month maximum. The infrastructure legislation, uh, biggest investment in infrastructure since the Eisenhower administration. We've done a lot. And if you look at uh, what this what, what we've done under Republican uh, leadership in, 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 in the House, haven't done anything. Uh, they had... Uh, they. We, we uh, they created the problem with the debt ceiling, and then they called on Democrats to, to to save them. We kicked the can down the road in terms of government funding with continuing resolutions. We've got plenty of votes to legislate, but they keep insisting on uh, trying to do it with Republican votes alone. And I think it's occurring to them that they can't do anything with Republican votes alone. Uh, and so at some point, we're going to have to get to the point where we can actually fund the government not with continuing resolutions, but with actually funding bills. But it's a, there's a big difference in being able to set the agenda and have education and health care uh, as uh, high priorities uh, as opposed to um, uh, not doing much. I think we may be able to make a breakthrough on job training. We're going to be uh, uh, looking at legislation to um, uh, vastly improve our job training uh, opportunities, and hopefully we can uh, we can actually get that passed. There's a lot of bipartisan support, and uh, hopefully we can do something along those lines. But that's about the only thing on the agenda. Well, you know, I saw uh, on the news recently where a Republican uh, member of Congress was saying 
that he wanted one thing that the Republican majority has done in the House that he can campaign on. And he said well, he could not think of one thing. This is a Republican. Well, that's because they have. That. That's because they haven't done anything. I mean, you've got three hundred votes. Uh, if they work with Democrats, the three hundred votes. We passed the debt ceiling with over three hundred votes. It's continuing resolutions. Ukraine funding could have three hundred votes. But uh, if if you insist on Republican votes alone, they they can't get it done. When they decide to work in a bipartisan fashion, there's a lot that we can accomplish. But if you look back. Um, they haven't done it in, in terms of funding the government. All they've done is extended the deadline for shutting down the government. Uh, that's nothing you want to campaign on. And I think he's exactly right. They haven't done anything uh, of anybody except uh, made make a uh, mess out of everything. And so, um, uh, if you look at what we had done uh, two years ago, uh, at, up to this point, uh, compared to what they've they've done. And, and and Nancy Pelosi had exactly the same four vote margin that they have now, so they can't complain. Oh, we got a tight margin. No, we, Nancy Pelosi had the same margin, and was able to uh, accomplish a lot. Um, and they have I think he's absolutely right. There's nothing that they ought to be able to campaign on. Uh, and until they are willing to work with Democrats, I think that there's not going to be much that they can campaign on. Well, you know, a lot has been made out of the House, the, the uh, Infrastructure uh, Investment and Jobs Act money, and says also the Justice 40 money and other federal funds. But uh, uh, the, uh, the distribution of those funds have not been equal. I sent you some information on the travesty that's occurring in Washington State, where uh, we had to file a formal complaint with Merrick Garland, uh, November 23rd, 2021, uh, as a matter of fact, Congressman Benny Thompson, Congressman Adam Smith, and Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, and Senator Patty Murray uh, sent supporting letters, and he sent our racial discrimination complaint over to the Department of Justice. Washington State did 0.18% with Black-owned businesses in 2021, and after our governor, Jay Inslee, issued the executive order January 20, uh, 2022, at the end of the year, Black businesses, Black-owned businesses did 0.22%. This is all the all the state agencies combined. Why would Merrick Garland send our complaint of racial discrimination to the Department of Transportation when our complaint has very little to do with the Department of Transportation? Well, and I'm just I, trying to I, figure I, I've out. Been I've, I've been disappointed with the reaction of the administration. I've asked for the um, uh, results in minority business participation in the infrastructure bill. Uh, there's a, there's a trillion dollars in uh, infrastructure spending going on, and we haven't gotten a coherent answer as to what uh, the minority participation is. And, and we're going to continue to press the administration to make sure that the contracts are being led fairly. But I'm, I'm, I've been disappointed so far with the response. We've been, I've been asking, I have personally asked, Every time uh, someone comes to the, either the Black Caucus or the Democratic Caucus, ask a simple question, what is the minority participation percentage in these contracts? And I remind them that the answer to that question is a, is, is a number, not an adjective, not an essay, but a number. And I can't get the number. Because very little is being done for African Americans, and uh, well, that's, that's, that's why that's uh, so many uh, folks in the black community are really disenchanted with President uh, uh, Biden. I think if you just look at the cases that are being brought, the affirmative action case, 
and the fact that we're losing, um, uh, we just lost a voting rights case, a, a major voting rights case that um, um, uh, could sabotage the entire Voting Rights Act. We had a, we took a, a, a huge hit uh, about ten years ago with the Shelby v. Holder uh, case, where they essentially eliminated preclearance, which meant that the states with the history of discrimination before they could do any voting change, had to pre-clear it with the Justice Department and prove it wasn't discriminatory. They were relieved of that. And as a result, they've been, um, there, there are five states, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia, that have redistricting plans that have all been found to be uh, illegal. And, and, and if you count them up, that's five seats. They only, the Republicans only have a fourth-seat majority. And if we hadn't lost, if they had to pre-clear those cases, we'd have five more seats just in those states uh, based based on that. Um, it, they, they've said that the cases can't be brought by uh, civil rights groups and individuals, have to be brought by the Justice Department. And uh, that would be devastating because it would allow any Justice Department at its whim to decide what cases are going to be brought, whose rights are going to be vindicated, and which will not um, uh, and meanwhile, all the victims have to have to suffer. The, the only uh, you've got uh, Lim Howell; he's an expert lawyer. He can tell you. But it seems to me that uh, we reauthorized the, the law about uh, about ten years ago, and um, uh, during that reauthorization, uh, it was assumed that the cases that have been brought for decades by individuals could continue to be brought. If we wanted to change it and restrict it just to the Justice Department. We'd have done it. We didn't, and so yeah. I, I'm assuming that if they follow precedents, they're going to reverse that holding. But that would be devastating to allow a uh, Justice Department to um, uh, have to come in at every little state redistricting, down to the redistricting and town councils and, sher- and uh, mischief and sheriff's races and everything else. Uh, you can't uh, rely on the Department, the United States Department of Justice, to be all over the country uh, bringing these cases under uh, under Section Two of the Voting Rights Act. So that 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 case is is very troubling, and until it gets reversed, um, uh, we're going to have um, our voting rights are going to be very much in jeopardy. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I just wanted to, one other thing, Congressman. Uh, I sent you some emails. I don't know if you received them. Uh, we have some sham outreach sessions where they're calling, uh, uh, like, there are 10 black truckers whose rigs apart. A lot of them have to sell stuff because white prime contractors will not select them. And uh, they called uh, 10 black truckers, a couple of women firms, to a meeting with a contractor. I sent you a copy of the email uh, where it was just a sham. The contract had already been awarded. And, uh, you know, and this is going to be the out. They hire a black to do the outreach. But uh, the contract was already awarded, so hopefully uh, 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 the uh, Merrick Garland will start looking at discrimination. So uh, I want to go to uh, Lim Howell time right now. Uh, Lim, you have a, a comment or a question? Yeah, I have several comments, and let me just say it's good to know that you're still there, Bobby. But you raised that issue in the past forty years, a hundred and eighty-two successful Section 2 cases have been brought, and only 15 of them were brought solely by the Attorney General. So you remember the uh, uh, candidates for appointment to Supreme Court always talk about settled law. 
It's been settled law for 40 years. And along comes this Eighth Circuit case in a two-to-one decision and said that in the case of uh, Arkansas NAACP versus Arkansas, that they couldn't, they couldn't do it. But the judge, the trial court, gave five days to Garland to uh, join the plaintiffs in that suit, and of course he refused. Let me also say that I share your concerns about Garland. I think he's been derelict in his duty as attorney general. For example, we'd have no criminal case against Trump if it wasn't for the January 6th committee who made criminal referrals to the attorney general's office. And then he appointed a special prosecutor. That should have been his duty from day one. Also, Jared, uh, Trump's son-in-law, gets $2 billion from the Saudis, and he was part of the government. Why isn't there a special prosecutor investigating that rather than investigating Hunter Biden, who was not a part of government? Don't stop it. He received the money. There's some dots that need to be put out there to see if they can be connected, and that is he got money from Saudis. Did we pay $5 a gallon for gasoline uh, because he got the money? And did we pay more, and, and did we lose um, in the tariffs with China because Ivanka got uh, patents from that? Uh, the, you, you Absolutely. That thing Absolutely. Not just that they got the money or got the patents, but did uh, did citizens in America suffer by paying more uh, for tariffs and stuff coming out of China or for gasoline because they got it? We need that's what needs and, to be investigated. Yeah, Bobby, on that issue again of the Voting Rights Act, Section Two, the uh, Fifth Circuit permits these cases. It's the Eighth Circuit, uh, a two to one majority that is uh, uh, outlawing it. But the question is, since there's a split in the two uh, uh, circuits, I think it's going to go up to the Supreme Court, and I fear what they will do. But the John R. Lewis Voting Rights uh, Advancement Act would permit private organizations and private individuals to sue not only states, but subdivisions, counties, and metropolitan areas and so forth. And let me ask you, did that bill pass the House, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act? Yes. So yes, it was bottled up in the Senate. It can't get past a filibuster because one party doesn't want to, doesn't want to do anything. Uh, they they uh, keep talking about uh, cinema and mansion, but you can't get a single vote out of the entire Republican uh, conference. Which is disturbing because uh, uh, Romney came out as a knight in shining armor, but he certainly hasn't been helpful to us. So that's uh, that's uh, um, and and you're exactly right. Um, and, and but you you said there's a split in the circuits. There's been an expectation, and they've tried cases and heard cases where civil rights groups have brought cases under Section Two. Since 1965. That's exactly my point. And, and most of the cases, 182 of them, have been successful. And the Attorney General has only brought 
15 of those cases. So we've got to have private parties uh, uh, championing the right to vote. Yeah, I'm concerned about the Democratic Party in the 2024 election because they're down on Biden. He's too old. What's he done for us lately? And so forth. I, I, I think the, the message ought to be AGC, abortion, gun violence and climate change. And we should get some good messaging out of the Democratic Party. But, uh, you know, we we really fall down in that respect. Well, actually, uh, you know, we got this all this money for the infrastructure and Washington State, Congressman Scott, there's been no affirmative action for 25 years. And now this money is coming down and the same shenanigans are being used to leave African-Americans out. So that's why a lot of folks are saying, you know, uh, what's the difference if, you know, if you're starving from one a D or starving from a R, it doesn't make much difference. So that 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 uh, a lot of people. And I really think Mary Garland is going to be really harmful to President Biden. And well, matter of fact, well, I'm talking to more at, and more if people. You at, who, if you look at there is there is a there's a phenomenal difference between the two. And just in terms of jobs, if you look at the economy, the Republicans have ever refrained that the economy is bad. Uh, Joe Biden created more jobs in two years than any president has created in four, and they declare that a bad job. The unemployment rate has been under 4% for the longest time since the 1960s. They declare that bad. Child poverty went down 40%. They declared that bad. Just because they say it's bad doesn't mean the economy is bad. Uh, regrettably, uh, Democrats tend to change the subject and say, well, people aren't buying it. People aren't buying the uh, the good economy that we've got because we're not selling it. We've got the lowest inflation of uh, any of the industrialized countries in, 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 in the world. By any objective measure, the economy is, uh, is, is, is great. And particularly when you, and Biden has always said, compare me to the alternative, not the almighty. In terms of jobs, Trump was the worst job performance since Herbert Hoover. And they say he's better on the economy. How did that happen? Yes. Oh, I, I can only I can only talk about what is happening to black businesses in Washington state. It is dismal for us. And the numbers prove that. And that's why Congressman Benny Thompson, uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, uh, uh, Senator Patty Murray and Congressman Adam Smith all wrote letters in support. When you, the numbers don't lie. When you got a whole group of people that are doing 0.18% and a year after the governor signs an executive order, 0.22%. There's not a whole bunch of stuff to glee about. The central area of Seattle at one time was 85% black, most strategic located uh, property in the whole city. It's now to 15%. So the city of Seattle is now 7% African-American. So uh, it might be great to look at these numbers and say how great uh, President Biden is doing. But if you ask the black truckers who got their trucks parked, and a whole bunch of other folks who've gone out of business because of racism uh, in uh, the business practices that are being tolerated. That's why these kind of white, large white contracts say, we don't have to worry about it because nothing's going to happen to us. And they're absolutely right. There is no enforcement of the law by the attorney general of this country. Well, um, like I said, on the transportation, I've been trying to get... Um somebody in the administration to advise us as to what the numbers are for um, 
um, minority participation, and it's been it's been hard. So we're still we're still um, we're still pushing, and they keep promising to provide us with the information. And like I said, the answer to the question needs to be a number, not an essay, uh, not an adjective. It needs to be a number. And, That's why uh, I sent and, you our dismal numbers. Authentic numbers from Office of Minority well, Women Business well, Enterprise. Let's see, let's let's see what they're doing on the on, on, on the transportation. Uh, but there's a lot that the uh, attorney general needs to be focused on, and voting rights obviously is going to be one. Uh, if we lose this case, um, and the attorney general has to bring the cases, uh, they've got to bring cases to town councils and every everybody else um, to to, well, um, the, uh, the, to to make sure the, the general Lewis Voting sense. Rights Advancement Act would take care of the problem in this Arkansas case because it would permit private groups directly to bring actions. Well, the, the, and the so, private groups already uh, have had the right since 1965. So well, I, I but think, it hasn't um, been explicit, explicit Bobby, so well, they could that's right, fool but, around but, with words. But, but, but we but, reauthorized it after they'd been doing it for 40 years. Uh, right. We reauthorized it, and um, uh, and, 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 and so the, the, the law... Precedence is that if if it's if we reauthorize it, what was going on then is expected to be continued. If we wanted to change it, we would have changed it to restrict it just to the Department exactly. of Justice. Exactly, exactly. That's a, that's a, a rule of construction. But the, right. but then this court, I'm really worried well, we, about we this to, court because it's what we call yeah, it's what we call settled law. That's what was supposed to be for Brown and Roe versus Wade. But the, the Supreme Court said they were for star decisis, but they certainly aren't. They, well, let's see, especially the Supreme, Court hadn't, hadn't ruled on this, the Supreme Court hadn't ruled on this one. It's just the um, uh, that circuit. Um, hopefully the Supreme Court will get it back on track. Well, don't hold your breath. I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, that's that's because the problem. I, I think it was Gorsuch that made a side remark, although they affirmed that I think it was Arkansas, one of those southern states that were depriving vote black voters of their rights, said that it was discriminatory and sent it back. But as an aside, he said, we still have to, we have not faced the issue of whether private parties can bring suits. He made that as an aside, although they affirmed the discrimination that occurred in Arkansas. I am, I'm really concerned because if we depend upon Clarence, you know, that's insidious. I think they have to pass ethics laws to govern the Supreme Court, because it's really terrible. Clarence should be impeached. Why aren't there any articles of impeachment against him in the House? Well, you'd have to ask people on the Judiciary Committee, but one of the things that I have found unbelievable, they keep talking about he didn't, he didn't um, uh, record, he didn't disclose the gifts. I'm just amazed that anybody thinks he can accept the gifts. Um, exactly. Robert Menendez, exactly. Senator Menendez is under under indictment for accepting gifts. Right. No, I agree with you. Well, Lamb, I want to let you know that gifts. There's a gift, and members of Congress can't accept gifts like that. What uh, were you anyway, saying, Eddie? 
Congressman Hank Johnson, who is a ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, it has a bill uh, that will hold the justices accountable. It's called the Supreme Court Ethics Recusal and Transparency Act. So uh, I don't know whether he dropped that bill yet or not. Have you heard anything about that bill, Congressman Bobby Scott? Uh, just kind of in passing, I haven't heard anything, any hearings or any movement on it. Okay, well, if you're relying on the Republicans to do that, it probably won't happen, so. Well, that's uh, the problem. Which is unfortunate. But anyway, well, I want to thank both of y'all. And Bobby, Scott, I really want to thank you for all the work you're doing. Please look at all the information that I sent to you. It proves discrimination through and through, in and out. Because uh, like Benny Thompson say, the numbers don't lie. The numbers well, don't have a personality. Either you what, are doing it or you're not. And when and we, talk about, these state, cases, we're not when we doing talk about these cases, but I, but, we need numbers, not adjectives and essays. You got it. They, well, you got the right person by Bobby Scott sitting at, at the table. You have we have the right person there. But anyway, we have African-American superintendent of Seattle Public Schools, Dr. Brent Jones. He's on the line with us right now. So, Dr. Jones, before we take this break, I, you know them how. And uh, Congressman Bobby Scott is a ranking member of the House Education and, and Labor Committee. So that's one you need to know. It's, it's, Hopefully it's, it's, next it's, year this time he'll be the chair again. We certainly hope so. So, uh, Congressman Scott, uh, Council, world-famous attorney Lim Howe, thank both of you for your time today, and thank you for the information. Happy Thanksgiving Day to you, and I will be talking with you both soon. Okay. okay thank you. Bye-bye. And happy Thanksgiving. Okay. okay. Thank you, Congressman Scott. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Superintendent of Seattle Public Schools, Dr. Brent Jones, next. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Walking your talk? Take us with you. The KKNW app makes streaming our programming easy on your phone or tablet. All right, any right back at Urban Forum Northwest, I want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Department, uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, and the SeaTac Bar Group LLC. They own the Mount Room bar in uh, the African Lounge on Concourse A out of SeaTac. Since 32 million of y'all will be going through the next couple of days, stop by and do some business with them. My next guest is Dr. Brent Jones, the superintendent of Seattle Public Schools. A lot of people say, 
being the superintendent of uh, urban school districts is a tough job, especially when you have some people in the press that try to make you look bad, even take a picture of you and make, try to make you look bad. Even when the, even when the, uh, the message is positive and those schools are being closed, but if you looked at that picture of Dr. Brent Jones on the daily paper, you would think that everything went south. And uh, instead of a happy face, we got something different. But uh, Dr. Brent, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for the job you're doing. And uh, let our listeners know what's the most important things on the superintendent's plate today. Thank you, Mr. Rye. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, I appreciate you having the authentic reporting of, of what's happening and giving us a forum to talk about it. Uh, you know, what's really most important has always been the same thing. It's around teaching and learning. Uh, we are tasked with doing a lot of things with the school district around uh, everything but teaching and learning often. Uh, how do we respond to media? How do we respond to crises such as uh, safety? How do we respond to uh, food insecurity, digital access? You know, all of those matters are really important uh, in the bigger scheme of things, but our, our main thing is around teaching and learning. We do that really well, uh, but we're also tasked with uh, making sure our, our students have safety and they have mental health supports and all those type of things. But the main thing is reading by third grade, uh, meeting math standards by seventh grade, and being college and career ready by the time uh, a, a student is in 11th grade. And we, we think those are really important at the end of the day. What is the student population of Seattle Public Schools today? You know, we for the last 100 years, we've hovered around uh, 48, 49,000. Uh, and we're at 48, 48 plus right now. Uh, we've lost uh, about 5,000 students over the last uh, six years. And so our enrollment has declined uh, and that's due to a lot of factors. But um, to answer the question directly, we're about 48, 48, five right now. Now, what does that do to uh, the district's budget when you lose students at, at that number? Right. So. Uh, Districts only have really one way to make money besides getting external grants. And that's really to uh, our revenue sources, our students. Uh, we get paid from the from the state for the number of students that we have. Uh, and our expenditures are really around salary and benefits. And so the more students we have, the more staff we can we can actually afford. And so uh, when we lose students, obviously we lose uh, our revenue. So that's the that's that's the that's a it's a double whammy for us sometimes. Uh, we don't get paid enough for each student, but if we lose students, uh, that affects our bottom line, at least dollar wise. Now you graduated from Franklin High School, right? Yes, I did, sir. And uh, the chair of the House Education Committee graduated from Franklin High School. Representative Sharon told me Santos. Yes, yes. It seemed to me like the Quakers need to do some huddling <laughs> and come we, up with something good for the students. We do, and uh, uh, not just uh, Representative Santos, who's been a tremendous supporter of Seattle Public Schools and me, uh, which I'm always grateful for. But uh, it's it's really time to make sure that uh, our state pays the right amount to to fund our our paramount duty. Um, we're scrambling every year to uh, rub nickels together to come up with a dollar, and that's not sustainable. And so we are in a, a budget crisis right now, not because of bad choices that people have made, uh, but we just don't have enough funding for public education. 
It's not just Seattle schools, it's our surrounding school districts too. Some of our school districts are close to going into binding conditions with the state. And so our, our legislative team has got to decide, you know, how are we going, how are we going to fix this? Because we can't continue to cut, cut, cut. We need some, we need some support from the state. And uh our, we've met with our legislative delegation recently and laid it out for them. And I'm I'm trusting that they're going to be responsive. Well, it also pays too if we have some alumni from Seattle schools, some parents, as well as students to actually show up in Olympia. Because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And that's the same thing I was telling people in the black community about yes. uh, in Renton, Federal Way, Kent, Seattle. We have to have uh, uh, black faces in the audience for these hearings and let people know because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And, uh, uh, you know, it's good to have representatives on the school board and on the city council in these various places. But it's always good to have community people there. Uh, then that way folks will know, wow, uh, 25 black guys are here. So what's what's up? To, what's up today? Yeah, and so it gets on people's mind. But the thing about it is, we, uh, you know, I've talked to some, I've talked to some of the pastors about having churches take turns in whatever city they're in to show up at the school board meeting, show up at, show up at at this at, at your at the CL school district meeting, and also at the city at city hall. You know, when Mayor uh, Bruce Harrell is ready to do something, there needs to be people there letting folks in the broader community know. We're concerned, we're there, and we want to be counted in, and we want our leaders to be treated fairly. And we know that's not always the case. There always, always seem to be an extra step some people in the city and the state want Black men leaders to take. You know, I'm not saying they don't diss the Black women, but I'm just saying I'm looking at, at the editorials and the papers about uh, 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 Wheeler Smith, Derek uh, yes. Wheeler Smith. Then, you know, every other day there was something about Bruce Hill. You know, hey, why don't we come up with suggestions? You're so smart. You got all these reporters. Why don't you guys start coming up with suggestions about what's going to cure the issues? But some people have more, more fun, as far as I'm concerned, trying to come up with something that's negative instead of trying to work with people to do something positive. But as, once again, we are in America, whether you're in Alabama or Martin Luther King Jr. County, racism is alive and well. Well, Mr. Rye, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And particularly when we're talking about um, African-American leaders who I believe you, you named a few, uh, Mayor Harrell, myself, it's not like we're pushing bad policy. It's not like we're pushing uh, bad initiatives. And what I find is there's a very vocal minority of folks who come forward, write letters, send emails, show up at, at these public forums and our community is informed. Our community knows what's happening. I think the main thing they just need to show up is not do your homework before you come, obviously, but showing up is half the battle. And I think uh, if our people decide uh, that they want to take a stand on three or four things, I think they can have an impact. As we talked about talking to our legislators. Um, if our folks write letters, send emails, show up at forums, it has an impact. It really does. And so I, I think people think that they need to be in mass numbers and, and come in in groups of 150, 200, 1,000. But just single, single credible messengers can make a difference. Uh, I know we listen when people do form letters. And, you know, we can have one, one letter and 50 people sign the same letter and send it over and over. That gets our attention. I think if people 
from communities that have been disenfranchised and marginalized and not brought to the table, start doing things like that on a regular basis, we'll listen. And in fact, I think it'll improve what we do. It'll improve our service. It'll improve our program offering. It'll improve how we go about hiring and contracting. I think all, all that will have an impact. What are the most pressing issues for you as a superintendent of Seattle Public Schools? Well, it started out. Uh, money. <laughs> yes, money's always a real. It's, it's money's always allows us to you know pursue what's really important. But it started out as public health. You know, I started during during uh, the height of uh, Oma, uh, excuse me, Delta, and then Omicron. And right now, frankly, Mr. Rye, I think we're we're dealing with mental health um, and mental health of our students. And our students have been very expressive around their mental health needs. Uh, our adults need support as well. You know, how how are, and I guess in some African countries, they ask, how are the children? Sometimes you have to ask, how are the adults? Because if our adults aren't well that are serving the students, we have to make sure that their well is awesome. So I think mental health is a, ma is a major piece. Uh, and then just making sure that uh, we don't get distracted. Uh, there's so many different things out there, politics and uh, interest that, again, as I let off, Teaching and learning is what we do well, and we have to do everything we can. But safety, safety is something that is a, uh, uh, it's real. It's a distraction because people aren't feeling like they're secure on their way to school, on the um, in school. Uh, we have to continue to do things to make sure that our students are safe. And this is a school community safety is a is a real issue. And uh, you know these aren't issues that I wasn't facing as a as a young person coming to school, but I think the visibility is higher and I think the intensity is a bit higher. There's much more guns on the street than we had when we were when we were coming up. You might get a fat lip or a black eye, mm -hmm. uh, but you weren't going, you weren't in fear of your life. And so that's, that's a little different this year. It, it absolutely is. Uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, and I, I can't, I can't think about the last superintendent, uh, Denise, uh, Denise Judo, fired every black man in any responsible position in the school district. And all these individuals ended up in another uh, school district or, and they all ended up in uh, uh, with positions. So, I mean, look at you. As a matter of fact, you, you <laughs> left the school district under Juno's leadership. Yes, sir. And, uh, I know that McCurdy and others, and these folks all ended up, you know, going to uh, uh, other school districts and doing, re doing real well. So, Obviously, uh, the, the superintendent was getting some erroneous information or just didn't give a damn whether about black men. I think I, that's the con a conclusion I've come to, but it's just uh, really uh, elated. I'm just elated to see that all the, the black men that she messed over ended up in other positions and other districts. And like yourself, you come back in the position she had that she, she ran you out of. So because uh, I think you were the director of human resources at the time. But uh, you, you're back now and the superintendent. So uh, I'm just happy to report and glad to see that uh, all these uh, men ended up with real nice positions and because uh, they had the knowledge and the expertise uh, to to do things. And so uh, I know you had what uh, 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 Ted Howard, the former principal of Garfield, he's down as assistant superintendent with you now. Yeah. So uh, thank you for noticing these uh, these men uh, in particular that you that you cited. They uh, fell forward and they yeah. 
where they had exceptional skill set. Uh, they had exceptional experience and somebody recognized that and people have gone on to be superintendents, uh, managing large operations, athletic directors of universities and whatnot. And so that that is really important. Uh, and I had the wisdom to go scoop up uh, Ted Howard to come back to Seattle Public Schools. And he's the accountability officer for the district. And so he measures uh, what's happening now, what we're, what we're trying to get to in the future. And he keeps a clipboard in his hand and he's he's always measuring what, what we're doing, what we say we're going to do versus what we are, what we're actually doing. And to have somebody with his background and experience, having been at Garfield for for 16 years and then the chief academic officer at, T at Tuck Willow Public Schools and then come over to Seattle Public Schools, uh, it's, not, it's been nothing but a gift. And so uh, sometimes uh, there's diamonds that people don't see and we just have to polish them a little bit and they'll shine, and uh, Ted is one of those. Okay, I'm gonna take a break. I want you to hold on for a minute, uh, if you can, Superintendent, just hold on for one minute. minute yes, please. sir. Eric, let's uh, take this break. For those who take a walk with me to live back in our history, all rise, all rise, to face the past that we must dread, to use our strength and lift our head all run, all run, all rise up, please stand up, when will we rise up, stand for those who fail for us, live for those who die for us, when will we rise up. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for Sound Transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, uh, that was Josephine Howe. We'll be hearing from her very soon. But uh, I guess uh, one thing about this, uh, 
Dr. Jones is that a couple hours after the live program on Thanksgiving afternoon, uh, Eric has it fixed up so that uh, this program will be available uh, on uh, uh, podcasts and also on uh, Alexa. So uh, thank you very much, Dr. Jones. We got Josephine on. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much today, and I'll be in touch with you soon so we can plan some strategy about making it, the education relevant and the support for Dr. Jones uh, would be unwavering, and you have a lot of support out there, as we all know. So thank you very much. Thank you, and I appreciate it. And uh, good afternoon, Josephine. Uh, love hearing you, and this is a great segue. I love to come before Josephine always. Okay, well, sound of the sound, sounds of the sound is coming up. Josephine Howell? Yes, yes. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, go ahead. Thank we got you. about three minutes. So why don't you go ahead and let folks know about the sound of the sounds that's going to be happening up on Saturday? All right. It is this Saturday, November 25th, at Town Hall, Seattle, at uh, 7 30 p.m. Josephine Howell presents Sound of the Sound Six. This is my sixth annual concert to uh, broaden people's uh, uh, horizon and get them uh, get us to understand the jewels that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. These are artists from the uh, Puget Sound region. Come on out. We have a great time every year. I promise you it is a guarantee that you will leave better than when you came, that you will be uplift, uplifted, inspired, and encouraged to be your best self and bring your best self to the community and help your fellow man, just to uh, just to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, music can do that, and and we plan on having a good old time. So come on. <laughs> That's gonna be a town hall, right? Town hall, Seattle, on Eighth and Seneca, and the doors open uh, at six o'clock, and then they they open for the concert at six forty-five. So you can come into the lobby. Enjoy one another, talk, uh, eat some uh, uh, small odors, and then you can go upstairs at 645. General seating opens up at 645. You can go in and get your seat. We have VIP tickets, and we still have tickets on sale. So uh, the tickets are $50. You can go to JosephineHowell.com, uh, or you can go to Eventbrite. It's the same place. You end up going to Eventbrite. Put Sounds of the Sound 6. And uh, it will come up, and I hope to see you there. All right. Thank you very much, Josephine. We appreciate you. Thank you and so I want, much. And I want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Department, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. Thank you very much. Eric, don't eat too much turkey. <laughs>